0: Welcome to Midday Magazine for Thursday, December 8th. I'm Jordan Lewis. Ballots from six rural villages were not fully counted in Alaska's November elections. A Division of Elections official said the U.S. Postal Service failed to deliver them to the state election headquarters before the election was certified on November 30th. The Alaska Beacon reports that as a result, more than 250 voters in St. George, Lavalock, Ambler, Kiana, Kobuk, and Norvik had their ballots only partially counted. A spokesperson for the Postal Service said, We regret the issues caused by this incident and are reviewing the process with the Alaska Division of Elections to avoid any recurrence in future elections. Though the failed delivery did not change any election results, it adds to a record of rural voting problems this year. After the August special election for U.S. House, seven villages' ballots failed to reach election officials in time to be counted. Also in August, two polling places failed to open as planned. In November, two other rural polling places opened late on Election Day. In addition, a disproportionately large number of ballots from rural Alaska were rejected in the June by mail special primary to fill the U.S. House seat left vacant by the death of Congressman Don Young. Last year, the administration of Governor Mike Dunleavy proposed a bill that would allow the Division of Elections to mandate by mail voting in small communities where hiring poll workers is difficult. That bill did not pass the legislature. A mix of rain and snow this week has officially made 2022 the wettest year in Juneau's recorded history. Kimberly Vaughn at the National Weather Service office in Juneau announced the news via Twitter this morning.
1: Exciting news. 2 a.m. we have officially broken the annual precipitation record at the airport.
0: With three weeks left in the year, 2022 could surprise, surpa- surpass the record by several inches.
1: It's still raining, so how much of that record will we break the rest of the month? Stay tuned.
0: The National Weather Service has recorded 85.31 inches of rain at the airport since January 1st. The previous record, 85.15, was set in 1991. Meteorologist Edward Liskey says the pace for the record-breaking year was set early on.
2: We had a very, very wet late winter into early spring period for the airport. So that was the main thing that caused us to uh, be really high this year.
0: Juneau's airport got double the normal amount of rainfall in January and February. This was caused by weather systems coming up from the South Pacific.
2: So we had more uh, wet systems, more warm systems, and most of that precipitation started falling as rain instead of
0: snow. Precipitation for the rest of the year was pretty normal, though there were a few periods of heavy rain during late sub- summer and early fall. In late September, intense rain contributed to a landslide that damaged several homes downtown. Annual rainfall in Juneau has increased by about 20 inches in the past century, and the past three years have been some of the wettest in Juneau's records. This past Saturday, Juno's largest convention space, Centennial Hall, closed until late summer for major renovations, costing the city more than $6 million. Organizers of conventions and the Alaska Folk Festival have moved the dates or locations of events in the meantime, and for some, those details haven't been figured out yet. KTO's Yvonne Crumley reports.
3: A few days after dozens of Juno public market vendors packed up their booths and tallied their earnings, the ballroom at Centennial Hall stood empty, save for a few people pulling out cables. In the bright lighting, the space looked bigger and emptier than it did when it was full of music lovers for the Alaska Folk Festival, or when dancers filled the aisles for celebration. Yeah. Events like those won't grace the ballroom again until late summer. <laughs> Centennial Hall is closing for major renovations. People should expect to see big changes, but not everything will change.
1: So it is mostly, yeah, but not mostly, it is all just going to be concentrated on the ballroom. So that's the only thing that is currently going to be renovated. So if people walk in next year and are wondering why the carpet in the lobby isn't different, it's because that was not part of the plan. <laughs>
3: Kathleen Harper is Centennial Hall's house manager. Some improvements will include dimmable LEDs, easier to move partitions, and a floor that should be more comfortable and more durable. Harper said the renovations have been a long time coming.
1: And so there's a lot of equipment that's in here that was really good in the 80s, but is definitely reaching the end of its lifespan and is starting to fail.
3: The work will keep Centennial Hall out of commission for about nine months. Joshua Warren runs PlatypusCon, a local board game convention which will be held in September instead of its usual January weekend. Warren said rescheduling worked better than moving.
4: We've grown to the size where I just don't know if there's a space that we felt fit us. We didn't really want to shrink to make it happen in January.
3: But the Alaska Folk Festival will have to move. Andrew Heist with Folk Fest issued a statement this week saying the event will still take place in April. And they'll say where soon. The big reshuffle is even affecting events that don't use Centennial Hall. Pat Race, the owner of Alaska Robotics, organizes a comic convention every May. That usually happens at the Geno Arts and Culture Center. But the spillover from events moving out of Centennial Hall means the comic convention will have to move.
2: Oh, It's very much up in the air. We have, uh, we've got a couple options we're looking at, and I don't know what the answer is, but uh, we'll figure something out.
3: Centennial Hall closes on Saturday. It's expected to reopen in late July. In Juneau, I'm Yvonne Crumry.
0: When it comes to quantity, moose can provide a large amount of meat. So how can that meat be put to use when an illegal moose gets harvested? KFSK went behind the scenes at the Petersburg Moose Burger Bank to learn how the community distributes the meat. A moose hunt can be very important for those living in rural Alaska because it can put hundreds of pounds of meat in the freezer. However... The moose hunt in the central southeast region has strict antler regulations put in place by the Alaska Department of Fish and Game. Sometimes hunters can take an illegal moose by mistake. On average, ten percent of the moose from a fall hunt are harvested illegally every year. Wildlife trooper Sergeant Cody Lidstrom helps to enforce these regulations.
4: Um, so, this all comes from the registration moose permit that has that comes from around here. The moose around here aren't a trophy moose, but. Um, Fishing games' view of it is they need to have some sort of antler regulation to allow everybody to participate. So if you put a definition on what moose are legal or not, mistakes are going to happen. And so mistakes do happen, and they happen quite a lot.
0: When a moose is killed by mistake, hunters are faced with fines and are unable to keep the animal. They have to surrender it to the wildlife troopers. The question then becomes what to do with the meat. Steve and Desi Barrow are members of the Petersburg Rotary Club and manage the Burger Bank. They thought that the fines the court gave the hunters for the illegal kill could be used toward processing the meat.
5: Typically, when a when an illegal moose or deer or whatever is taken, they have kind of a list of people that they would bring to that would take care of the animals and, and disperse them out within their their group or whatever, and it would come in like hindquarters and so on and so forth. And one of the ideas is that every person at any age can eat burger pretty much if you can tolerate any sort of a, a red meat. And so the idea was to take any illegal animal, moose specifically, and turn in it all into burger. And that way the distribution could be spread out a little bit more and easy for people to freeze and to... Uh, take care of and to distribute. So through that, the court was approached in regards to, is this something that could be done? Could the court order that, you know, a, a moose be turned into burgers?
0: By turning the meat into burger, it would allow for easier distribution to nonprofit organizations and food kitchens around Petersburg. And for the hunters who received the hunting violation, they can pay for the processing fees of the moose and can use that against their fine. Again, here's Sergeant Litster.
4: So at the end of the day, these uh, nonprofit organizations and food kitchen sort of places get get free meat that was packaged professionally, and the violators or the people who made the mistake are paying for it without putting money into nameless state coffers. So it's, it's a complete win for the community. It's a great way for... Um, community organizations to benefit and for community uh, businesses to, to donate, it's it's a complete and absolute win.
0: The Burger Bank has been going on for at least the last six years, according to the Burrells. This year, the Burger Bank has distributed 1,748 pounds of loose Burger, with around 400 pounds being held in the community cold storage to be distributed in February. In Petersburg, I'm Jordan Lewis. The city of Craig is taking its first step toward renovating its public library. It's one of a handful of ongoing projects aimed at improving public facilities for Prince of Wales Island's biggest town. KRPD's Reagan Miller has the story.
1: Putting out a call for an analysis of Craig's library is the first step in improving the library, either with renovations or a whole new building. Brian Templin is Craig's city administrator.
2: So the first thing that we need to do is do a spatial analysis of the programs and the features that the library wants to have in it, and then we'll start a discussion on whether we can renovate the existing library to accommodate that, or whether uh, new construction is is needed.
1: The library is just one facility in Craig getting improvements. The local cemetery is short on graves, so a 30-year expansion plan was developed. There's ongoing work surrounding a potential harbor expansion. Prior to the pandemic, the city was looking at developing a skate park in town and also purchased the old cannery site downtown. The library analysis is funded by a $15,000 grant from the Rasmussen Foundation. The city will accept bids on the project until December 16th. City officials say they're prioritizing bids from firms that have experience with small libraries, especially those in southeast Alaska. Templin says the city has conducted a series of surveys over the past decade to find out what residents want from their library. And it's a long list.
2: And the strategic plan in those surveys include any number of uses from fairly typical library uses, right, like the, the collection of books and videos and those things, uh, program space for reading programs and story time, that sort of thing, uh, having both children's and adult uh, space in the library for reading and activities.
1: The analysis will be the first of many steps. Templin says after it's done, which he hopes is by February, it'll be time to look at the next steps.
2: Then we would hire an architect to start some building designs, whether it's renovation designs or new construction designs, once once we've determined whether it's a renovation at the existing site or, or new construction at a new site.
1: If the analysis finds that a new library is needed, Templin says there are a few potential locations, like downtown's cannery site or nearby Crab Creek but Templeton says that's a ways down the road.
2: To be honest, we haven't really started looking seriously or making a list of the places that a new library might go in until we decide whether or not the new library is the direction that we want to go.
1: Craig's library currently provides free Wi-Fi and two public computers. The library is open six days a week. Volunteers sometimes staff up the library for extra hours in the evenings. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Reagan Miller.
0: Juno Animal Rescue is resuming spay and neuter services for cats and dogs. The services are taking place at the rescue facility for the first time since 2014. Samantha Blankenship is the executive director of Juno Animal Rescue. She, has some, she said some services will be offered at a lower price depending on income.
1: But we also are offering spaying and neutering for full price to people as well uh, because we know the veterinary shortage in town is real. <laughs> the money from that goes back into healthy help the animals here at the
0: shelter. Juno Animal Rescue has been offering low-cost services at Southeast Alaska Animal Medical Center until they closed in April. This summer, Juno Animal Rescue had the highest number of cats in two decades. The spay and neuter services are limited to healthy animals that aren't considered senior in age. The clinic won't be doing blood work on animals to determine their health before spaying or neutering them.
5: Right
1: now... Um We're getting people in pretty quickly. There's not a long wait right now.
0: Blankenship said pet owners should bring paperwork with them that shows they qualify as low income along with any vaccine paperwork.